0: First question is, your work with and writing about the National Ballet of Cuba examines the development of ballet in Cuba as a case study. And that involved, as I understand it, both ballet's globalization Mm -hmm. and the cultural production of the Cuban Revolution. So can you talk to us about that a little more?
1: Mm -hmm. Let's say we were to go to Justin Library, our library for the performing arts here at Smith College, and that we wanted to consult a book on the history of ballet. Most of those books will describe this linear development in which ballet travels through Europe within different countries, flourishes in the Soviet, well not in the Soviet Union, back in the days was Russia, uh, but then uh, crosses the Atlantic to the Americas and it flourishes in the United States in Canada as well. Uh, But primarily those histories will focus on the United States and look at figures like Balanchine, for instance. What those histories do not comprise is how ballet has proliferated in many other directions throughout the 20th century and, of course, up to date. So if we were to look at an international map of where ballet is practiced, that will cover most of the world. In most countries in Latin America, you will have strong ballet schools and national ballet troops, like in the case of Argentina or Brazil, Mexico, Chile, and Cuba, of course. And then if we look at other sides of the world, such as Asia, we'll see a huge proliferation of ballet in countries like China, the Philippines, Japan, South Korea, so with the research that I do on the National Ballet of Cuba, I want to shine a light on how ballet has become Truly an international dance forms, and hopefully push our analysis our scholarly analysis of this genre beyond that eurocentric model or anglocentric model that has prioritized the study of ballet in Europe and in the United States so um, I, I think it is exciting to Study ballet in these ways because there are a lot of interesting things that are happening outside these traditional locations where ballet was cultivated for centuries. So when we look at ballet in Cuba, for instance, we see that. Um, Already in the 19th century there were many European performers who were traveling to Havana because Havana was one of the largest cities in the Americas at the time. It had some of the most lavish theaters as well. So these were dancers that would come to tour in the United States and because they were already on this side of the Atlantic they will continue to Cuba. It is not until the beginning of the 20th century that Cuba starts to develop its own ballet. It happens because a Russian dancer got stranded in Mexico. The company with which he was traveling ran out of funds, and then from Mexico, he went to Cuba, and he found a welcoming group of people who wanted to start a school of ballet. Uh, in Havana, uh, this was at the Pro Arte Musical Society, and this was a school for the, um, the daughters of the Monet classes in Havana. So that's the situation for several decades and we don't really see a boom of ballet in Cuba until 1959 when the revolution takes power and Batista is overthrown. Before that a few important figures have come out of the pre-revolutionary period in Cuban ballet and those were the Alonso, Alicia Alonso, who was a prima ballerina with Ballet Theatre in New York and with Le Ballet Rus de Monte Carlo, a company that toured all over the United States. And then we have the Alonso brothers, Fernando, who uh, had been a professional dancer too in the United States, but became a very strong teacher. And the other brother, Alberto Alonso, who also had sustained an international career and became known as a choreographer. So we have this trio of very important figures, a prima ballerina, a teacher and a choreographer. And that is the foundation for developing a new company when the revolution decides to fund ballet after 1959. A lot of people usually think that ballet has been a Soviet importation in Cuba in the context of the Eastern Bloc, of which Cuba was a member. Uh, But that is not the case. Uh, These dancers who were practicing ballet in Cuba before the revolution, they uh, had uh, already manifested a desire to popularized this dance forum in Cuba, and they had created a company. And this company that was called the Ballet de Cuba in the 1960s uh, engages in a conflict with the dictatorship of Batista, with the regime of Batista, and therefore there is a political situation that already begins to align ballet dancers with those rebels who were in the army, uh, who were in the mountains fighting Batista. So by the time they uh, toppled Batista, there was a pre-existing political alliance between many artists and among those artists, ballet dancers and these revolutionaries who come into the city. So uh, a number of transformations start to happen after that moment. One is that for the government, part of the cultural program of the revolution is to make the arts accessible to the masses. It's part of an educational program that promotes accessibility and equal opportunities for everybody. Um, And um, we see that uh, the government offers funds to the company. The the company becomes institutionalized as the National Ballet of Cuba and the government also supports the development of a national network of ballet schools which of course are going to provide the human material with which this company can operate. A number of situations have to be resolved when you take a dance form as ballet and you put it in the context of the cuban revolution because there is not necessarily a seamless connection between ballet and communism although we think of it as a natural alliance because of the example of the soviet union but uh, in the case of ballet in cuba for instance you have to wonder what's going to happen with this dance form that before the revolution followed an elitist model it was Um, perform for the people who could afford going to the opera house to see ballet and now you are in a new context in which the revolution is pushing for accessibility to the art so something happens is what I call the proletarianization of ballet and that involves several things on the one hand it means that uh, the National Ballet of Cuba undertakes a program of um, outreach that consists on the one hand of lowering the tickets for ballet performances, of offering a lot of free performances on public squares, on stadiums, but also, and this is very interesting, the company starts taking um, groups of dancers to places like farms, like factories, like military units, so that people who had never been exposed to ballet, they could actually see ballet firsthand. And those were very powerful outreach initiative. One of the things that the government was proposing at the time, it was that dancers could not continue under the revolution to see themselves as figures in an ivory tower. They had to be artists of the people, not just dancers, all, all artists, they have to be artists of the people. So what happens in these encounters in factories and farms between dancers and workers is that the workers actually could see firsthand how hard it is to dance ballet. When you look at ballet in the theater from the distance, you don't see the sweat, uh, a lot of the physical labor and effort is masked because that's precisely what a ballet performance wants to create: this illusion of effortlessness. But when you are dancing on a makeshift stage in front of a group of workers who are surrounding them, surrounding you, the distance is very and you could really see if you are a spectator the hard work that ballet involves. So that model of performance allows for an identification of dancers with workers and this is the type of work that was being done. The type of labor is vital which is manual labor. This is a period of the revolution in which the government asked everybody to engage in manual labor. Even if you were an engineer, even if you were a physician, even if you were a teacher, you were expected to volunteer your work in agriculture. Maybe during the weekends, maybe during your vacations, you were expected to go and cut sugarcane or pick up Oranges from orange trees. The economic model of the revolution presumed that each citizen was going to work in a very dedicated manner with all their physical capacity. It was a discourse of heroicity, of discipline, of doing things that were out of the ordinary because the economic circumstances and the political circumstances of the time called for citizens to do this extra-disciplined type of labor. So what we see here is a perfect match between what ballet could offer at a symbolic level and what the political economy of the government was requesting. When when we look at ballet, those narratives of doing heroic work, of being dedicated, of being selfless. They are in the DNA of these dance forms. Therefore, ballet becomes um, uh, an art that symbolizes in a very clear way what is the work ethic that the government is expecting of revolutionaries. So at the time, you will see that uh, ballet was, were also participating in agricultural activities. If you look at stories from the 1960s and up to the 1970s, you will be surprised to see these articles in newspapers and in magazines that will announce that ballet dancers were going to be performing Swan Lake, but they were also working on, in the countryside. Helping with the agricultural label, uh, with, the, with the agricultural duties that uh, were so essential to the Cuban economy. Therefore, the dancers uh, are able to refashion themselves. To shed the image of ballet dancer as of ballet as something that was insubstantial, of little consequence, that was escapist, that was a form of entertainment, that was irrelevant to reality, because the stories of ballet had to do with fairies or with dolls or with mythical figures, and they reinvent themselves as workers of the revolution. Also, if we look at the type of choreographies that are being created during this time, we notice that this happens even in a more direct way in the choreographic output of the period. If we look at work from the 1960s, we will see that dancers were performing in fatigues. They were performing the roles of soldiers who were in the trenches defending the revolution. Or uh, we could look at other ballets in which dancers are paying homage or tribute to the leaders of the revolution. For instance Che Guevara, there is a ballet from 1960 that is dedicated to Che Guevara. So these are some of the ways in which we see this ideological alignment between ballet and the revolution. So
0: as these dancers were becoming refined um,
1: artists, Also, if we look at the type of choreographies that are being created during this time, we notice that this happens even in a more direct way in the choreographic output of the period. If we look at work from the 1960s, we will see that dancers were performing in fatigues. They were performing the roles of soldiers who were in the trenches defending the revolution. Or uh, we could look at other ballets in which dancers are paying homage or tribute to the leaders of the revolution. For instance Che Guevara, there is a ballet from 1960 that is dedicated to Che Guevara. So these are some of the ways in which we see this ideological alignment between ballet and the revolution.
0: So as these dancers were becoming refined um, artists, and yet they were also agrarian workers, was there opportunity for them to—when did they gain the opportunities to become world-class dancers, highly regarded, and start traveling overseas to dance Mm -hmm. with other companies? And Was that part of the evolution, or how did that happen?
1: So, one thing that we should qualify as we talk about the dancers uh, engaging in this official rhetoric of the revolution uh, is that, well, it is important to take into account that not everybody did this in a voluntarily way. The type of work that the government was asking from the Cubans at the time uh, was very taxing and depending on your political sympathies you could do it uh, with a lot of enthusiasm, or maybe you did it because you didn't have any other choice; it had become compulsory. So, the 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 interviews that I have done of dancers they reveal a whole spectrum of political attitudes toward this type of labor. But regardless of whether dancers were going to the fields and enjoying it or not, and some of them were, some of them were it, they become a symbol of this hard work because what the press reflects is their participation in these activities. So they, they, they become part of this like hyper-reality, of this utopian vision of what a revolutionary man is supposed to look like. Uh, part of what a revolutionary man is supposed to look like, this is, the, there, is a, there is a figure in, in Cuban history which is the new man, the ideal of this utopian citizen of the communist uh, state. It was theorized by Ernesto Che Guevara. So there were several pillars of this uh, utopian new man. One of them was productivity, hard work, manual labor. Another one was education. The new man is expected expected to constantly develop through study, through learning new things. So we see also this informing the development of ballet in Cuba, in part because the revolution provides opportunities for free education all across the board, but also education in the arts. And a new school of uh, ballet is founded, the National Ballet School, in 1961, and that um, allowed an opportunity for dancers to combine studying, art, and also labor. You see that students in the National School of Ballet, they were also spending time in agriculture, even if they were only like 10 years old, 12 years old. It was part of what it was an integral education in the revolution. this philosophy of hard work that is so typical of ballet and that characterizes uh, also the revolution uh, becomes essential to, to the approach to study ballet in Cuba. Uh, you start seeing testimonials in the press when the company traveled international, internationally that uh, reflected the, what, what some of these critics or journalists uh, called the fanaticism of Cuban ballet dancers, that they were working hard all the time. So there is a, a drive toward perfectionism that also becomes part of the philosophy of ballet in Cuba. And as a result of that, we see the, uh, that a development in, in technique, uh, a development in artistry that had not been seen before obviously the revolution is instrumental in making in making this happening because it creates the infrastructure for the study of ballet but staffing that ballet school in the beginning was also a work uh, of love it was Um, done by uh, a number of young ballerinas at the time who were charged with the responsibility of teaching these new students. What happened is that the revolution creates a school. So all of a sudden, Uh, The people who were going to run this school first, they had to find who were going to be the students. So there are auditions all over the country. It becomes particularly challenging to find boys, as you could probably imagine. Uh, The other problem is then that you have to find the teachers, because there were not enough teachers in Cuba. And those teachers are going to be the same professional dancers who were... Uh, working in the National Ballet of Cuba so these were people that through a number of years they will have dual careers they will start very early in the morning teaching classes in the National School of Ballet and then a boss will come and take them and to the to the headquarters of the company so that they could proceed their day with rehearsals and performances and sometimes they will not go home. Until very late, because they had performances, and next day they had a right to be in the school. So it's all part of a massive effort uh, uh, toward development ballet in Cuba.
0: Well, let's jump ahead now to mm-hmm. current relations. Mm-hmm. Now that the US Cuba relations have been normalized more or less since <sighs> Obama issued his executive directory last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, what has changed for the ballet company, or its mm-hmm. direction, or its performances, or or is, has nothing changed? Mm-hmm.
1: With the new uh, migratory situations between the U.S. and Cuba, um, we see once again that ballet becomes an arena in which the conflicts between the two countries or the new alliances that are being created are being played out. Uh, early in the revolution, the ballet company is banned from coming to the United States. Alicia Alonso, Fernando Alonso, they are told that they cannot get visas to come to perform in the United States because they were perceived as supporters of the revolution. This was during the era in the 1960s, like following season, during the uh during the Cold War. So these dancers are prevented from coming to the U.S. They tour all over the world. They tour a lot in the Soviet Union, in, the, in Eastern Germany, in China. Uh, they tour over uh, Western Europe and also in Latin America and Asia and even Africa. But for a number of years they cannot come to the U.S. The company, performs in the United States for the first time in 1978 as a direct result of the rapprochement between Cuba and the United States during the um, during the administration of Jimmy Carter. Uh, but as you know, uh, since then there have been different administrations in the United States. The po- their policies toward Cuba uh, have fluctuated from more openness to Uh, more stringent policies uh, in connection to the embargo. So the ability of the company to perform in the US has always been mediated by this uh, issue of the diplomatic relationship. So the company has been here many times, but sometimes uh, three or four years may go by without uh, the the National Ballet Company performing in the United States. When um, When we look at ballet companies in the United States, If you look at the cast, you will realize that there are Cubans in most of the uh, ballet companies in the United States. This, on the one hand, speaks to the very high level of Cuban dancers. The, The school of ballet in Cuba is rated among the best in the world next to those in New York or London or Paris or Moscow or St. Petersburg. That's the quality of the school. So these dancers are on very high demand. And since the 1990s, with the economic crisis in Cuba, there has been a a great motivation for dancers to leave the country, which is, first of all, to try to find a better life somewhere else uh, due to the, challenges of daily life in Cuba in an economic sense. They know that they could get better salaries if they get uh, a job in a company in Europe or the United States. So there has been a steady migration of Cuban dancers toward the United States. Because there has not been official channels for Cuban dancers to travel here, let's say, with, uh, with a contract directly from Havana. A few have done that, but only a few. Uh, the majority of the dancers what they have been doing is defecting they will take advantage of tours of the company either to the United States or to Canada or Mexico or to Spain and then they defect and they find a way into the US now this is going to become more difficult because last December before leaving the White House President Obama ended one of the migratory policies with Cuba that had allowed Cubans to actually come to the US border and request political asylum. And those requests for political asylum were, were seldom questioned. Now there is going to be more questioning of these requests. Therefore, an answer coming from Mexico or from Canada trying to arrive to the United States is not going to have it as easy as they uh, were until only a few weeks ago. So it's impossible to see what's going to happen. On the other hand the opening of the relationships between the two companies already have created great opportunities in the area of artistic collaboration and exchanges in dance and not necessarily in ballet Uh, the ballet company is so huge that to move that company from one country to another one is very costly but we are seeing a number of other smaller initiatives like for instance the company malpaso who performed recently at Jacobs Pillow and has been touring all over the United States in the last couple of, in the last couple of years. The company really operates on a transnational model. It's based in Cuba, the dancers are Cuban, but some of the choreographers are US choreographers like Ron K Brown, for instance, who have gone to Habana to set work on the company. And the company also collaborates with musicians who are based in the United States, as is the case of the Cuban-American musician Arturo Ofarrill. So it's a small company that in reality has been designed for a global market. It, performs in cuba but is performed most of the time in the united states and in europe and in other places so the relationships between the ballet and the revolution are not always smooth and one point of contention is the issue of machismo and how it intersects the prejudices about male participation in ballet so at the beginning of the revolution the it was impossible to find boys who wanted to study this dance form because of the existing prejudices or simply because people didn't really know what ballet was in most cases. So the the state authorizes Alicia and Fernando Alonso to go into orphanages and to audition boys in orphanages. And that is the first generation of ballet students under the revolution. They come from orphanages. And obviously, like going to a ballet school was a much more appealing prospect than staying in the orphanages. Um, At the same time, uh, the company was operating with a number of dancers who had had uh, mixed training and uh, that were the dancers that were available in the early 1960s. Uh, Many of these dancers that had been trained before the revolution, they they were gay. And by the mid-1960s, we leave this traumatic period in Cuban history in which the government decides to target homosexuals as the type of citizens who were not compatible with communist ideology or with this utopian vision of what a revolutionary man should be so. We see internments in labor camps. Uh, we see a lot of persecution. People who lose their jobs, particularly artists, because artists were associated with homosexuality. And in the case of ballet, this is, um, uh, is it is more acute because of the prejudices surrounding the profession. What happened is. Um, a story that is not in black or and, and white. The because the company was so well respected, the national ballet of Cuba was so well respected. The leaders of the company had somehow guaranteed that ballet dancers, who were so scarce at the time, male ballet dancers, that they were not taken into these labor camps. Uh, but these dancers, regardless, they felt. Uh, under great threat. So in 1966, the company travels to Paris. It's the first performance of the National Ballet of Cuba in Western Europe. It's highly significant. There was great anticipation about what was going to happen uh, with this, with this, this company. Like no one in Paris had ever seen a Cuban company before and there was great curiosity about the revolution. Uh, So, the performances were a great success from an artistic point of view but ten dancers, ten male dancers of the troupe, they don't go back to Cuba because they felt that if they returned they were going to be uh, uh, the object of persecutions. This is a turning point in the evolution of the Cuban ballet aesthetics is in the mid 1960s so the teaching methods of the Cuban ballet school are still developing and they are striving for creating a Cuban style of dancing that is identifiable and distinct from the way dancers perform in other parts of the world the piece of masculinity becomes very important because it's one is going to be one of the features that differentiates the Cuban ballet from other uh, international schools of ballet as the company started traveling internationally in the late 1960s and throughout the 70s dance critics will point out regularly that these Cuban men they dance with such a sense of masculinity and uh, that they they look like gladiators, they look like Olympic gods. Well, that was a direct result of the persecution of gay dancers. You had a situation in in which it was not possible for ballet dancers not to dispel these prejudices about the profession. And therefore, dancer had to overcompensate and they have to project a very masculine persona on a stage and that gets encoded into the pedagogy and aesthetics of the Cuban Ballet, and it continues to the date.
0: Um, all right, so we also want to talk about um, the issues of Yes with yes, the yes. dance company. Mm-hmm.
1: One. Of the uh, most revolutionary aspects of this new government is that it wants to eliminate racial discrimination in Cuba. Within weeks of taking power, Fidel uh, announces to the country that uh, racial discrimination had, be, had to be eliminated. That obviously extended to, to ballet as well. Until that point, ballet had been practiced overwhelmingly by white dancers. There were known uh, uh, black dancers uh, at that point in Cuba. So uh, one of the challenges then becomes to racially integrate the National Ballet of Cuba. It happens progressively because you had to start with students. So it took a number of years for those students who entered the schools in 1960s who were black students to actually graduate and enter the company. it is one of the first ballet companies in the whole world that becomes racially integrated at a time when in the united states you might have the american ballet theater and the new york city ballets uh, for instance that were completely white for the most part and then you had the Harlem dance theater which was a company a company predominantly of black dancers. Uh, You had a model in which there was no integration. But in Cuba, you get to see early on a company in which you have dancers of all skin shades. Ballet becomes a visible example of how racial relationships were changing in the country. And one of the most striking examples of this is in duets in which you have dancers of two different skin colors, for instance, a white ballerina and a black male dancer performing an erotic story as those from Swan Lake or those from new ballets that were being created at the time. So we are dealing here with something that had been a huge taboo since colonial times in Cuba, the issue of Uh, dancing that was racially integrated but also that was evocative of uh, miscegenation and of intermarriage of interracial love so in this sense uh, these performances were highly revolutionary and they were pushing the envelope when you look at polls about attitudes about race from that same time period, and I am talking about the early 1970s, what the polls show is that in Cuba, in spite of the official policies of the revolution to eliminate racism, that's what was on the books and on the constitution. Uh, but when you ask people privately, they would say that they oppose intermarriage. And here you have on the stage of the most important opera house of the country, this displays of interracial romance. So it is significant that Ballet was able to achieve this. Of course, uh, there were many other ways in which racism was not overcome in Cuba during this period, and those were also reflected in ballet. One, one instance, for instance, that continues to be a debatable point until today is the fact that black male dancers were able to move up through the ranks of the company, but black ballerinas, Not so much, there were not as many black ballerinas in the ensemble and to this day, there has not been a principal dancer in the National Ballet of Cuba who has been a black female dancer. So obviously there is still a barrier there. I think that what we see is how uh, there is a clash between on the one hand, this drive to racially integrate ballet, but on the other hand, we're also seeing this Uh, The conservatism of a dance genre in which the ideas of beauty are still modeled by uh, European images of swans, of fairies, of princesses that correspond with an ideal of whiteness. So that has not been resolved yet. Uh, But there is ongoing discussion of these issues in Cuba, so we will see in which direction we are moving. And of course, it is long overdue that the company diversifies, not only at the lower ranks, but all uh, all the way to the upper ranks, and both in the case of men and women.